Good morning. Good morning. I'm Naya Swami Krishna, and this is Naya Swami Gyandev, and it's our joy and privilege to be with you this Sunday, to share Sunday service with you. We want to welcome everyone, and especially our guests from the Expanding Light, the Meditation Retreat, and those who are watching online. This morning's reading, Rays of the One Light, Weekly Commentaries on the Bible and Bhagavad Gita by Swami Kriyananda. Does Satan exist? Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. The Bible tells us in chapter 4 of the Gospel of St. Matthew. Then, after baptism, was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. To most modern minds, this passage seems quaintly obsolete. Psychologists would say, have said, in fact, that the temptation of Jesus, if it occurred at all, was purely psychological. They call it a projection of desires lurking in his own subconscious mind. The subconscious plays a strong part, certainly, even if not a unique one, in any testing the spiritual seeker must undergo. The Bhagavad Gita, in dealing with this undeniable reality, quotes Arjuna in the third chapter and then Krishna's reply. Yet tell me, teacher, said Arjuna, by what force doth man go to his ill, unwillingly, as if someone pushed him in that path? Krishna replied, Desire it is, passion it is, born of the darkness which pusheth him, mighty of appetite, sinful, and strong is this, man's enemy. Yet even Krishna describes passion as born of the darkness. The fact is, as Paramahansa Yogananda wrote in Autobiography of a Yogi, all thoughts vibrate eternally in the cosmos. Thoughts are universally and not individually rooted. A truth cannot be created, but only perceived. Psychology, yes, but psychology attuned to the currents of consciousness that pervade the entire universe, attracted by each of us according to our own personal inclinations. Yogananda quoted in The Path said, I used to think Satan was only a human invention, but now I know and add my testimony to that of others who lived before me that Satan is a reality. He is a universal conscious force whose sole aim is to keep all things bound to the wheel of delusion. We should take pains then to attract uplifting currents of universal consciousness and to avoid attracting the negative, which disease that it is, and to avoid attracting the negative, which disease that it is, can infect our thoughts even while it leads us to believe that our thoughts are purely our own. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Oh. 
Good morning. I'd like to share with you a brief uh, selection from Whispers from Eternity, a uh, book of poems, prayer demands, and affirmations by Paramahansa Ugananda. Thy gentle voice saying, come home, I often heard. But through many lives it was drowned in the tumult of my wild cravings. I have forsaken the jostling crowds of desire. In the solitude of my mind, my devotion bursts to hear thy voice. Take away every dream memory of earthly sounds that yet lurks in my mind. I want to hear thy still voice ever singing in the silence of my soul. You know, we're still, uh, I'm still anyway, getting used to this new temple. And uh, I realize is that uh, now the clock in the back is just a little bit beyond my <laughs> visual acuity. <laughs> and if you think that you should be afraid of Satan, Think how fearful you should be of a minister who doesn't know what time it is. <laughs> you know, last last uh, October, um, Latika and I led a pilgrimage, a non pilgrimage to the Holy Land. And uh, one of the places where we went, uh, and we'll be going again in 2021, is to the Mount of Temptation, which is just uh, right outside the city of Jericho. Some say is the oldest city in the world, certainly very old. Uh, up a mountain that, uh, well, by standards of that part of the world is a high mountain, not so high relative to the Sierra, but uh, it's, a, it's a region, just to kind of visualize it's all a desert and rocks, and it really is wilderness. And uh, we rode an aerial tram uh, up to the top, uh, or near the top, of the Mount of Temptation. It's a long ways. It's more than a kilometer uh, ride on the, on the tram. You're going up and up and up. And at the top, you come to a Greek Orthodox monastery, which is very interesting shape, it is, because it's sort of clinging to the side of a cliff, it's very narrow and very long. And you sort of walk through various places. There's a cave area and, and uh, well, obviously kind of a central worship area. And in that central worship area, sort of at the end of this long uh, sequence of places, uh, there's some art hanging, and one of the uh, one of the paintings there is of that uh, temptation of Christ. Or there are several of them, but one of them, particularly the third temptation, where uh, Satan supposedly offers the all the kingdoms of the world, all this entire world is is yours to have dominion over if you will only worship me. And the painting is wonderful, uh, uh, but a little bit funny, of course, because we don't think of Satan, most people anyway, embodied these days 
Uh, but this painting definitely has Satan embodied. We have in the foreground is Jesus having obviously overcome the temptation and saying, get thee behind me, Satan. He's very sort of looking up to the heavens, quite impressive, quite large. And the background is this little demon figure. Uh, clearly, Satan is sort of, sort of gray-black skin and all. And he's, he's like, remember, we're up on a mountain. He, he's got his hands like down toward, here it all is. He's looking at Jesus. Seriously? <laughs> you, know, you, know, you don't want all this? And we laugh. We laugh because we don't think so much in these terms of, of an actual embodied Satan, which in fact would be a whole lot easier than the reality of it. Because the reality of it is that it's not visible at least in direct ways. I mean, it's certainly visible. You just turn on the news and you know that Satan exists. But it's not, uh, it's not as apparent to us. Because as, as Swami was talking about in that reading, that the real, the real field of battle is not out there. That it's in here. And we like to think that our thoughts are our own, that this is private property. Right? And then that uh, nothing, no one can intrude in there. And that, unfortunately, just isn't quite the case. The way Swami Kriyananda put it, he said, Satan insinuates himself into our mind through the use of our own false reasoning. Isn't that interesting? All it takes is a little and we're constantly reasoning, we're constantly sorting things out. What's the right thing to do in this situation? And all it takes in so many circumstances is just, just a little nudge. Just a little nudge, one direction or the other. You know, if you read the lives of saints, you read many, many of them who had to really deal with um, blatant manifestations of Satan. St. Anthony of the Desert, for example, or more recently, Padre Pio, who would actually literally get beaten up, physically got beaten up repeatedly uh, by, dark, by dark forces. And I think the reason that, that saints encounter that and we don't is that um, that takes a little more work from Satan. That though the saints have already overcome that inner battle. They're not dealing with that so much anymore. And so Satan has to do the only thing left, the only desperate measure left, which is to somehow manifest and, and uh, intimidate and attack and try to change them, which never seems to work. You never hear stories of, of saints who, who, who say, well, okay, I get it, Satan. I won't do that. <laughs> I, I won't do this anymore. Uh, they, they all hang in there until, until victory. But Satan doesn't have to work that hard for most of the rest of us. He can just insinuate himself into our, into our false reasoning. And uh, how does that happen? How does that happen? Paramatsu Gananda said very a lot of very important things. One of them, he said, 
Reason follows feeling. The way the mind works, the way our reason works, it's not an independent agent. That it's really, it's really strongly affected by the way we feel about things. The mind gets dictated to by the heart. And what dictates to our feelings, what causes our feelings, pretty much it's desire. As the, as the reading from the Gita mentioned, you know, what, what causes us to go wrong, Krishna, Krishna says, desire it is, passion it is. But what causes, what causes that? It's that it's the, the delusive force. You know, there are really only two forces in all creation. One of them, you can call it the satanic force, but that's kind of puts a coloring on it that causes a lot of people to, to just reject. It's just the creative force. It's the force that, that, that God poured out of himself in order to make this whole creation. And it wasn't a, a one-time thing, like an artist creating a painting, for example, and the painting's done, it's done. But the creative force is a constant force, a constant force in this universe that is like a very powerful wind blowing away from its origin in spirit, constantly going on. Or to put it a different way, it's constantly encouraging us to go in that same direction, encouraging us to be fascinated by outward reality when, in fact, what we're really our job in this life is to rediscover our inward reality. But this force is constantly moving. That is the satanic force. And I prefer to call it the creative force because I don't dismiss it so easily then. I don't go, oh, Satan, yeah, right. No, it's, it's that constant force of creation. It's, it is operating us at all t on us at all times, and it's throwing us into confusion. It's the force, it's the force of maya, the force of, that, that causes us to see reality in a way that's different than it really is. And what happens? What happens? Here's the way Swami Kriyananda Paramahansa Yogananda put it in the commentaries on the Bhagavad Gita. He said, we come into human embodiment and it doesn't take very long before we start to become identified with the body, and later our personality and other aspects of the outward realm of who we are, we become identified with it. And that identification gives us a feeling of, of course, separateness, like I'm me and you're over there, you're you. So we're different. We are separate. He said further that feeling of separateness gives rise to a feeling of incompleteness in ourselves. Because there's some little 
still, small voice, way, way, way deep inside, more at the soul level, that says, I'm all of this. I'm one with everything that is. And it just, but it only comes out to our external selves as this feeling of discomfort, of, I, I don't feel like I'm everything I could be. I feel incomplete. And then we discover little things that do make us feel complete. We discover food. <laughs> we discover love of our parents. And it goes on and on and on through our, through our lives. We discover importance. We discover being right. <laughs> and all these things that give us that sense of completeness. But the catch is that it's only a temporary sense of completeness, as we all know. The classic example is food. But Everything else, everything else, you know, winning the Super Bowl is only a temporary sense of completeness. <laughs> but what does each of these do for us? They start to build in the subconscious mind that the way to completeness is to acquire, have more victories, and acquire more things, eat more things. It's it, it, it's a, it is a hypnosis that, that comes over us, and it's really not fair. <laughs> I mean, really, do, did we start this ball rolling? No. <laughs> you know, we did not. As, as Yogananda, would, Yogananda would, would argue with God. He, he would say, I didn't ask to be created. And really, none of us did either. It just sort of happened. And I was just preparing for this talk. I came across a, a couple of quotations from Paramahansa Yogananda where he was quoting himself arguing with God. I thought I'd share them with you. Lord, this is just a motion picture to you, but it's terrible to us. <laughs> God says, I make you realize it's a dream every night when you go to sleep. Why don't you remember this in the daytime? Yogananda said, but look at the movie audience, Lord. They're screaming with terror. And God says, tell them to look at the beam that shows the movie. It's all just shadows and light. And another time. Yogananda said, why have you created all these terrible temptations that your children succumb to? Why have you made them so pleasurable? God says, I made you in my image and you ought to behave like me. <laughs> Yogananda said, but Lord, they don't know they're made in your image. Well, my saints are trying to tell them. I'm not going to force them to be good. And here's the worst part. Yogananda <laughs> said, you've never been in this quagmire of delusion. Why did you put us here? 
And God, and he said, and that's when God smiles. He said, that is how it is, and that is the way it will be. <laughs> it's really not the answers we're looking for. <laughs> I remember a story of one of the longtime community members here had been in, this is way, way many years ago, had been in seclusion and as can happen in periods of seclusion where you're in silence and you're meditating a lot and you're doing a lot of spiritual reading and you're talk, thinking about big questions. And this was happening with her. She was thinking about big questions. And we all know what questions they are. And when her seclusion ended, she sought out Swami Kriyananda and walked up to him, sort of, stationed herself right in front of him and went, why? (laughs) And Swami gave an answer that is um, both less encouraging than any answers that God gave in what I just read you, and more encouraging. His answer was, if you knew the answer, would you live your life any differently? He said, ask useful questions. He said, you're in it. What do you do about it? Really, and that's the question for us. What are we going to do about it? Because we can complain. I've never known complaining to be much use uh, when it comes to complaining to God. Um, I'm going to try. But it really is. We're down to what are we going to do about this? And if we, like that, like that uh, song that Ramesh and Bhagavati did at the beginning, thank you very much, guys, that was wonderful, called Devil Worship, for those of you who didn't know the name of it, uh, that if all we think about is the creative force and how it's taking, taking us where we don't want to go and we have to fight against it, then all we're doing is thinking about where we don't want to go and fighting against it. And there certainly is some struggling involved in in the spiritual life, but it's even more important to keep in mind that that other force, that's not the creative force. I like to think of it as, as the unitive force, but also known as divine grace. And that, too, is like a wind that's constantly blowing in the opposite direction, constantly blowing us back toward God. And our job is to tune into that. And all the teachings, all the techniques, all the insights of yoga, all the insights of any great master who ever lived, really, are teaching us to to cut the connection. Cut the connection with the creative force. It is going to be a reality in our lives, for sure. As long as we're in bodies, that's just something that that is part of the landscape. But we can cut our attachment to it. And really, that's what 
yoga techniques, one of the main things that yoga techniques do, they, that they help us to calm the mind and calm the heart. Because as long as there's that inner agitation, we can't see clearly. Our reasoning is going to be false in some way or another. But then, if we can get calm and focus our minds on tuning into that unitive force, tuning into divine grace, and how do we do that? Well, this is the guru's job, is to help us. It's to help us understand how to do that. The lives of all saints, all saints and masters, are there for them, of course, to do their job, but for us to understand where our happiness lies, to understand how to ally ourselves with that unitive force. I've always loved the image that, that a number of saints have used. Sri Ramakrishna uh, did use that. This is as if we're trying to cross a great lake in a sailboat. And he said that to get to the other side of that lake, to get where we want to go in our spiritual lives, our job uh, is not to make the wind blow. Okay? We can't. We can't make the wind blow. That's the bad news. The good news is the wind is blowing all the time. And that's the wind of divine grace. Our job is to raise the sail. Our job is to manage the rudder. But it's God's job, it's Guru's job to take us to that other side of the, of the lake, to that, to that place of infinite joy and infinite freedom, but a place of completeness where we came from. And I've been thinking a lot recently, ever since, in fact, uh, some number of weeks ago, maybe a couple of months ago by now, some of you may have you may get the weekly email, touch of light email from Narasamis Jyotish Devi. And Devi wrote a very sort of seemingly simple one. I don't remember what the name was, but I'm just going to call the title of it, uh, you know, What Do You Do? And sort of her bottom line, was, you know, we have, I do this, here's my job, here's my family, etc. All the things I do. And what she was saying was that she really, was really enjoying focusing on, and I've enjoyed it too since reading that, what I do is meditate. Especially when I'm meditating. <laughs> now, if that sounds like uh, tautology, uh, I don't, perhaps I'm the only one who sometimes sits for meditation and my mind doesn't meditate. <laughs> but to really, this is, this is my business. This is what I do for a living. It's what I do for a real living, is when I'm meditating, I meditate. Nothing else going on. And there's a term for this many terms for this. One of them is focus. But another one that you popularly hear these days is compartmentalization. 
Now, that has a, a negative connotation in some areas and positive connotation in others. In the area of psychology, it's negative. It's sort of a defense mechanism where you kind of, uh, you're doing one thing and your principles supposedly are in conflict with that, so you kind of compartmentalize and, and put, I'm just focusing on what I'm doing right now, thanks. Don't confuse me by what I would really like to believe. But what you see often in other arenas, such as the business arena or the sports arena, many other arenas, is it's simply the ability to pay attention to what's important and to not pay attention to what is not important. To focus on what you can do and not worry about what you can't do. Not worry about what you can't control. That's a wonderful attitude to take into your meditation of saying, I am doing only one thing here. I'm compartmentalizing. Okay? I am only meditating. I saw a wonderful example of this a while back. I'm sure a number of you have seen that same example. There's a movie and it's a documentary called Free Solo. And if you haven't seen it, I really recommend it. Uh, it was someone who, a young man who from Sacramento, actually, who climbed El Capitan, which is 3,000 feet of granite cliff in Yosemite National Park, climbed it alone with no equipment. And that takes some compartmentalization <laughs> to do that, because it's not climbing a mountain, it is climbing straight up. Straight up. And it is very interesting. I never have had a lot of exposure to rock climbing. So it's very interesting. He had every single movement planned. He knew exactly where the holds were, where the next one is, where the next one is, how you get there, what you do in order to get there, where to hang on. It all planned in advance. It was so, so, it was so organized. And as he was doing this climbing, can you imagine doing the climbing for one thing, for another thing, you know that there are video cameras below you, to the side of you, above you, because they're making a movie of this. It wasn't like he didn't know there was a movie being made. He was cooperating with this. And he had to shut so much out of his mind in order to, to do this. He had to shut out of his mind things like, wow, that's a great view. Yeah. <laughs> Can't do that. Or, I wonder if this movie is going to do real well. Probably shouldn't do that. Yeah. There was no room for anything else. Anything else but the focus on 
what I'm doing now, and how do I get to the next step? Nothing else. And of course, as we all know, if you've done anything that, that takes a lot of focus, and it's whether it's uh, rock climbing or sports or art or cooking, that when you're in that zone, when you're in that place of there's only one thing going on here, it's an incredible experience. Incredible experience that, that this is why they climb rocks. And other people do sports, and other people cook, and other people garden. You get into that zone where there's only one thing going on. And that's what the saints are really trying to inspire us to do. They've learned how to live in that zone where there's only one thing to do. And by the way, he made it to the top did not fall off. That would have been a great movie. <laughs> Falling, watching his body go down. Now, but this is the, the saints are showing us through their example, encouraging us through their teachings, and equipping us through the techniques that they share for us to do the same thing. And not just in our meditations, although very, very important in our meditations, but those two forces, their creative force and the unitive force, they're happening all the time. And that focus that's so important in meditation, the more we can bring that out into the other areas of our lives and try to try our best to compartmentalize there as well. What is in, the, in what I'm doing right now, whether it's feeding the dog or something supposedly important, that everything is important because every moment has the potential for us to be in that zone, to be in that space where the only thing that's going on here is just my relationship with God. That's all that's happening. I always love some, some words of, of uh, the uh, American uh, Ram Dass. He said he'd gotten to a point in his life where uh, the only things that exist are himself and God. And then he would say, and I'm not so sure about myself. <laughs> but to, to be in that place as much as we can during our days, in the little things, just the little things, or the big things, where we feel there's nothing going on here but the divine quest. To be able to focus like that gives Satan no space, gives him no real estate. And he can just stand there going, seriously? <laughs> and we're not even responding because it's not worth responding to. The only thing that is worth responding to is the call of our own heart to go back to where we came from. And it's my prayer that in the, the rest of this day, in the week, in the days to come, that we all will feel that call just a bit more strongly and make the effort 
just a bit more strongly to go back to that home. God bless you. Oh